Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 22. The Art of Practice, returning again and again. 22, go figure. Anyway, I'm John Dupuy. This is Doug Prater, uh, our producer and co-podcaster. And this is the handsome guy up in the corner, <laughs> Dr. Um, Bob Weathers, uh, psychologist, jazz drummer extraordinaire, and all-around amazing Renaissance man. Thank so, you. Um, Thank you. Here we are. And so far, we've, we've covered a bunch of stuff. But basically, my my little plan was to get through the the integral or the aqua model, which is an acronym for you guys haven't um, uh, heard it yet. It uh, stands for all quadrants, all lines, all levels, all states, and all types. So we kind of just touched on that in the preceding shows and uh, episodes, and um, along with shadow and shame and uh, some of Bob's, uh, Dr. Bob's story and a lot of stuff. Um, sometimes we, we finish a show and we, we kind of forget what we uh, actually talked about. And it's been interesting because I've been writing, I'm writing my next book and I'm writing about flow states and Doug just created this incredible suite of tracks called Stealing Flow, which is a riff off the book Stealing Fire. And it's super flow engendering. And, and I noticed, I didn't know if I had a, you know, a brain problem or something, but a lot of interviews and talks or teachings I do, I just do them. The time goes really fast. It feels great. Then I can't remember, you know, what the hell I said or what happened. Then we go back and go, wow, that's pretty good. So I was asking Doug about it and other, and Bob, and it seems that that's one of the qualities of flow states, which we're not talking about now, actually, <laughs> is that it just like, there's no, there's no, no karmic stickiness. You know, it just comes through, you know, it's like when you're playing drums, Bob, when you're in that state, you know, you probably don't remember everything you did unless you just go back and listen to it. It's just coming through you. And and that's really exciting. And we're going to touch on that uh, in the next episode. However, anyway, guys, I'll shut up. Say hello. Well, uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Episode 22 is just kind of incredible. I'm uh, so glad that we've made it this far and, and glad that we're through the aqua model at this point. That's um something that's worth listening to and, and reviewing quite a bit because we will touch on it and expand on it and continue to go there. That's all uh, kind of critical foundational information for the rest of the stuff that we're going to be covering in this podcast. So uh, glad that you've been with us so far. And if you're just joining us now for the first time, there are definitely some episodes in there uh, on the Aqua model covering all levels, all lines, all quadrants, all states and all types that are worth going back and reviewing a little bit so that you've got that solid foundation. Yeah, and, and um, a friend of mine said, you know, with the, with the aqua map, it takes X amount of time to learn because every time you look at it, it just, it's, you know, it just the universe keeps revealing itself and, and yeah. to the infinity of things. So, yeah. um, so we'll be referring back. But, you know, when people ask me what integral recovery is and, you know, the, the elevator speeches, it's the map plus the practice. Okay, the, the map illuminates the universe and everything that's necessary that we have to pay attention to and account for in our lives and our practice uh, as a, individuals and as a collective. And then the practice is where the, um, the, the rubber meets the road when it really comes to you know, the transformation. The, the map itself is uh, 
psychoactive. I mean, it will just that is life transforming. Once you get that, you just start seeing all this stuff and go, oh, wow. No, I understand. My gosh. But then the practice is where it really gets fun and it really gets transformative and inspiring. So, um, you know, one of the... Let me mention something here real quickly. Excuse me, Doug. Um, is that there's a uh, an online Facebook community connected to this uh, uh, podcast, and uh, something I've really appreciated, including just in the last few days. And Doug, you and John uh, have likely read this. Is that first of all, that community is very practice oriented, and I love that. Is that 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 here the three of us in interaction with, including with a few guests have elaborated on the, on the, on the model, on the aqua model. And, and uh, that's been really valuable. And then there's an online community that's really day by day implementing this in our daily lives. And so I want to recommend our viewers and listeners to check that out. Doug, maybe you can say a word about how uh, uh, people can join in. I just feel like that's a really effective complement to what we're doing right here. Just in terms of, like you said, John, putting boots on the ground. Well, absolutely. Um, the Facebook community to protect everybody's identities since recovery is a sensitive topic, we have made it a secret Facebook group. So you can't find it on Facebook through searching. You can, however, find the link if you go to our website at integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash community. And there are instructions there on how to join. Um, if you do that, like, like uh, Bob was saying, it's a really good way to focus on the practice and as we will get into far more deeply in this episode, the knowledge of the aqua model is not enough. In the end, it all comes down to practice. You know, flow states, too, are not about knowledge. They are about practice. They are about the doing. And so we yeah. take this information. Practice sets you up to be able to do the flow states. It's like, you know, yes. Sam Snead, the great golfer, you know, uh, the guy was interviewing him. He said, you know, Sam, how come you're such a great golfer? He says, uh, you know, I, well, I'm just lucky, I guess. He says, man, I've seen you practice more than any human being I've ever noticed. He said, well, the more I practice, the luckier I get, you know? So that's, that's how it kind of works with all this. I like that. And so there in our Facebook community, in addition to uh, having great discussions about practice to help inform your own practice, you can also find accountability partners who will help you make sure you're doing your daily practices. And also we are offering coaching on your recovery and your practice. So join us there in the Facebook group and you can get more information about that. Dr. Bob is taking clients right now and we highly recommend that you come check it out. Yeah, thank you, Tech. thank you. Awesome. Yeah, let me just say a little bit about the anonymity thing, all right? It's like, it, I talk about it in my book and I hope soon the day will come where, you know, if you are in recovery or you have a problem with drugs and alcohol, you can't use them or, you know, that it won't have to, you won't have to be anonymous. Okay. Because there's really no shame. I'm not saying that if this was like the, int the, the journey of integral gay people, you know, would it have to be anonymous? Well, I hope not, you know, and I think, you know, and since I was a kid, you know, I mean, there, there's been a lot of progress. It's not completely gone, you know, sexism and homophobia has not been done away with, but it's a lot better than it was, you know? So I hope someday that, and not, it's not a, you know, put down of anything of Alcoholics Anonymous or all the anonymous programs. I understand it, but it's, it's all of us, you know, we are recovery. I mean, it's not, nobody's two degrees removed from it. It's our family, it's ourselves, it's our loved ones, it's our colleagues, it's our, you know, compatriots, however you want to do that. And I, I saw this, um, John McEnroe, I love that guy. Anyway, there was this grumpy old, um, a woman, 
uh, a former tennis champion back in the 50s or something. And she got on some rant, you know, like half the women on the tennis pro circuit are all lesbians. That's not a disgrace. And McEnroe, John McEnroe did a video, said, you know, if uh, if that were true, who gives a fuck? He said those words. <laughs> and he said, you know, if all of them were lesbians. Who gives a fuck, you know? And uh, and, it's, and, it's, and then he did another. I forget what the third category. I said, "Right on, John." I mean, just shut up, you old bitty. You know, it's like, and I mean, really, who gives a fuck, you know? And, and you know, it's like God made gay people, so get over yourself, right? And uh, I like that. So that's kind of the way uh, I, you know, I feel about addiction. Well, who gives a fuck, you know? And, and I guess the only the only shame is the only thing is if you don't take responsibility and get the help you need and turn your life around. But the fact is the book I'm writing now that Doug and I are writing is taking integral recovery and everything we learn for everybody. Cause we all have issues, you know, except my mother. Okay. <laughs> a dear. No, but anyway, uh, we all, we all have issues. We all got to work on our stuff. And the same thing we're saying for, for, you know, addicts, uh, for people struggling with substance abuse, et cetera, is true for every, you know, person on the planet. And this is our hope that this, this idea of practice is going to get out there and uh, it's going to take over the world because when we start doing that, we're going to start evolving much more quickly. And our young people who, you know, are taught this in school are going to be, you know, it took us 50 years to get to or something like that. They're going to be hitting it at 12 or 13, you know, so it's going to be, the world's going to be a better place for it. So, John, let me dive in and say something here. I, I, it's, this is hot off the, hot off the griddle. I, uh, I came home last night. I was telling my partner Colleen about this. Uh, you know, I, I, I started by volunteering and have, have begun doing a bit more work at a local treatment center here in Orange County. And uh, it's evolved from a year and a half ago when I was completely closeted about my uh, addiction as well as my own uh, trajectory in psychology, which I'll say a word about, to now that in the last uh, weeks and months, I'm involved in in-service training with clinical staff. These are licensed people, and I tell them, not only am I, am I an addict in recovery, but I lost my license as a clinical psychologist owing to the wreckage from addiction, and that I've been operating these years uh, as, a, as a recovery coach, as a function of that. And in fact, even in this last year, the Board of Psychology wouldn't readmit me to psychology because I hadn't been sober long enough. And that, in their words, I knew, I knew that addiction was bad and I did it anyway. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wow, wow. And so I have to tell you the guy this story. As I was leaving the treatment center last night, there are two... Uh, doctoral level psychologist that said, Dr. Bob, would you say a word more about your license? Because I had, I began being out about this. And it's really in the spirit of freeing up conversation, not just with clients, but also with staff. And so I told them the story a little bit more detail, what I shared with you all, but that's the basic upshot of it. And they're both, these are both people that once they complete their postdoctoral internships will apply for licensure. And their response to this story was, first of all, good for you, Bob, because we value you in terms of what you bring in terms of firsthand experience of addiction from the inside, but also, you know, decades of having been a clinical psychologist. And, and the upshot was shame on the board of psychology for not being as enlightened as the medical boards are, the nursing boards, the, the, the national bar, most every other discipline, ironically, other than psychology, has 
more forgiveness towards addiction. Yeah. And it's not, this isn't a rant against psychology. It's just an acknowledgement that we live in a society and a culture that is still moving out of the dark ages in terms of stigmatizing, yeah. marginalizing the addict. And I, I, John, I'm saying all of this to embrace what you just started by saying. I want to be one of those that, that I, I want to out myself and I'm doing that with purpose. One of my primary, uh, I, in fact, I believe for me, my primary barrier to sustaining any kind of successful recovery was and still could be internalized stigma, which is shame. Is what I, When I internalize the stigma that comes from society or from my professional association and be, begin looking at myself through those eyes, that's shame by any other, by any other name. And I want to do all I can for myself because <laughs> I'm committed to my own recovery, but also to offer this to others and not just clients, but also professionals in the field. So the book that I'm writing, as you guys are both aware of, really goes deeply into this where I'm looking at the culture of treatment professionals and how there can be a subtle stigmatization that goes on even within those that are treating addiction. And there's not an addict that I work with that doesn't know what that feels like sure. in, in, in treatment. So in the spirit of I, I really want to be naming ourselves in an honoring way, and I have great respect for the anonymity of the 12-step of the programs. I continue to be involved in them. At the same time, I feel a, an ethical responsibility for myself to responsibly get out there the reality of addiction and the and the and the genuine hope for recovery and rehabilitation. So uh, I'll toss that in in support of you, dear John. No, and and I, when you were saying this, it made me want to weep, Bob, because you know we've had conversations about that, how painful that was for you, and the, the fact that you can just look clear eyed and just face up to that, and you know, and just say it to, to everyone. It's really moving. Really yeah. appreciate your courage. You know, I looked at the, the two. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I looked at I looked at these two that asked me the question yesterday, Zach and, and Honey are these two clinicians. And I said, I'm not, I'm not, uh, and I never have, including to the board, pretended innocence. There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing graceful or beautiful about active addiction. And so I've been open with the board about that. I was open with them about that. This is no, this is no um, pointing fingers and blaming others. It's about learning to own our, our uh, our pain, our guilt, our shortcomings, and do that in a way that doesn't shame the shit out of us and paralyze us in our recovery. Yeah. And I'm I'm a crusader for that, John. So thank you, yeah. thank you. You've always you've always. I remember the first time that we met face to face. You've always been a loving, uh, broad embraced uh, container for me in my recovery. And I bow to you and to Pam for that, and you too, Doug, because we're in the soup together. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think I think everybody here listening to this or you know, here in our, the three musketeers, as we call ourselves, yeah. we've all been broken, man. You know? Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah. part of it. And yeah. we all, you know, it seems yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. When I ask clients, when I ask clients in the treatment center, what's it like to work with clinicians that aren't in recovery? Their response is just what you said, John. For example, if I'm a client working with you, John, you don't literally have to be in uh, addiction recovery to be in recovering your life from depression or suffering of whatever kind. And you've been open about that. It's that that I see in you if I'm your client. I'll see whether this man or this woman knows suffering and has and, and has found some way to not give up hope. That's what I want from you. You don't need to be an addict. If I'm a schizophrenic, you don't have to be a schizophrenic, but you sure better know craziness. You sure better know suffering and darkness if you're going to work with me. And that's absolutely the pearl of great price in this work, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah. Hope and, is so, yeah, so critical to everything. I uh, was reading something that came through my inbox just this morning, um, telling of a research study where this is, this is a horrible animal research story. So, you know, please be mindful if you're squeamish. But uh, 
what happens is they wanted to measure how long a rat would keep trying to swim before it drowned. And they yeah. put it in, and it lasted about 15 minutes before it died. Now, they did another experiment where they took the rats out immediately before they hit that threshold and gave up. They dried them off, they warmed them up, and then they put them back in the water. And instead of going for 15 minutes, the rats were able to keep this up for 60 hours. Oh, We're God. talking about 15 Smart. minutes to 60 hours because they had a taste of hope. Hope <laughs> keeps us going when things seem That's too hard to go time. on. That's so. incredible. Wow. 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 So speaks volumes. I, uh, I really appreciate your perspective on, on shame and stigmatization with this. Uh, I have uh, told this story before and we'll probably tell it again too, but um, I came to a personal decision too between the time when we had conceived of this podcast and the first time we recorded when, when it hit me that I was going to be going public with this. Yeah. And before the exact reasons that you said transcending that shame and stigmatization is something that I want to be a part of. And we do that through not pretending that it's an acceptable place to be in, but understanding that everybody goes through it and there is hope and there is relief and there's nothing to be ashamed of in having suffered from addiction. As long as we are taking the steps to move ourselves forward and yeah. to heal and being publicly open about what we have gone through is I think important for others to hear because it gives them hope and it gets it out of the shadows so that yes. things like groups like the, the board of psychology can see it differently, begin to see it differently so that our culture can begin to see it differently so that we begin to see ourselves differently and can do the work that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, there, and there, there, there's two parts of that. I mean, there's the outside stuff, is all the stuff, you know, getting back to gay people, you know, I mean, my God, you know, it's not okay. And now it's like, I think millennials are pretty much over it, you know, it's like, oh, he's gay. So what, you know, it's like, you know, he's Scotch Irish. Oh, man, you know, wow. And, uh, but I remember a lot of the, you know, the people who, you know, pioneers who kind of went well known people, celebrities that, that came out, you know, I mean, it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, really. And it was, I was always, it was a very heroic, uh, you know, uh, you know, thing to come out and, and just admit it. And then we can get on with it, you know. And uh, I have to tell you guys a story. Uh, my next older brother, Alan, was only ever gay. And uh, we, we grew up in rural Texas and then relocated to rural California. So Alan grew up uh, through high school uh, uh, having to be completely closeted always. I mean, completely private about his sexual orientation. And no sooner did he graduate from high school in Central California than he went immediately to UC Berkeley and began there. And this was in, in the late 60s. Alan was one of the early... Uh, 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 activists in what was then called the gay liberation movement. And I still have a photo on the, the cover of what was called the Berkeley Barb. It was the local rag up there. And there's a picture of Alan holding up a placard. And it was really in the very early days of this. And so I have such pride in hearing what you say, John, in terms of the evolution. This has been almost 50 years now, but it's it, there's no comparison. And so Alan would have been lynched if he had come out where I grew up with his yeah. sexual orientation. And he's continued to live in Berkeley all these years for 50 years now. But to, to realize that these, these uh, uh, 
these causes, we can make a difference in them. And Alan's done that. I have to tell you, Alan, is it makes a difference for me doing what I'm doing right now. And Doug, when I listen to you as a, as a brother in the same circumstances, I completely bow to what you just said. I feel like this is how we'll usher in a new era is doing what Alan did starting in the late sixties is putting it out there, opening it up. It's the single greatest benefit in my experience of working the program, whatever 12 step programs is that you're in a program where every week you come in or every day you come in and you need to confess deepest, darkest, ugliest stuff imaginable. I don't know about you guys, but I was not wired for that. Not wired for sound with that at all. all. Speaking of closeted and have to practice those muscles and, and thank goodness for the program because it's given me the fortitude and the strength now to want to bring this out more publicly. Just as I shared with you guys, the healing will be in exposing the, the wound to the air. It seems like to me, not in, not, not in keeping it secreted away in a moist infectious environment. So that's, um, that's, that's hope for me. <laughs> yeah. My, my big story was, you know, I joined this religious group when I was 14 till about 22 and it turned out to be a really toxic, awful cult, you know, and I just didn't talk about it for years. I mean, I had good friends, you know, we were blah, 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 and I would just never mention it. And it wasn't until I was in grad school studying to be a therapist that we had the, you know, the, the uh, JFK, the idea was you had to do some work on yourself if you're going to do work on other people, which is pretty, you know, good idea, I think. And so I had to start coming out about that. And, uh, you know, but that was just something that felt so, yeah. you know, it's just not something I wanted to talk about. And it's not a choice that we can make for anybody else either. And it's not yeah. something, you know, it's, it's a very personal and can be a very difficult thing. And everybody has different circumstances. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly... Yeah. Yeah. The way you handle that in your own life is yeah. for you to decide and, and no one else. We yeah. we have made this choice in a particular way for particular reasons, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's mm-hmm. the right move for everyone at yeah. this time. It's something that you really need to check in with yourself and your circumstances and your heart and your intentions yeah. and make sure that if you're doing it, it is for the right reasons and will be a net good to the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And Agreed. Thank you, Doug. You totally know, Jesus agree. said, allegedly, in the King James translation, which is suspect but beautiful, uh, language, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine unless they turn and rend you. In other words, it's not always appropriate, you know, uh, if you're in the uh, neo-Nazi biker bar up in, you know, Idaho or something. So, and by the way, I'm gay, you know, it's like, man, you just ought to keep that with people, you know, that are a little more open i'm chuckling john because i was thinking of that exact passage as doug was talking that's so crazy to me yeah, yeah. we now share a brain john you and i <laughs> <laughs> no i mean jesus in the story you know sometimes he start talking to people and they start trying to throw him off cliffs or stone him or something he'd have yeah. Yeah. he said he, yeah. he 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 passed through the middle of my i have this linebacker i think he's throwing everybody out of the way and getting out of there so yeah, yeah. obviously you have to to, yeah. to be um uh you know, discreet. You don't just share every your deepest self with anybody. You know, you have to be people. There's a time and a place. There's a time yeah. and a place. In fact, Doug, earlier when you were talking about our our Facebook group and it and it being uh, a secret Facebook group, uh, what what uh, evolved in that direction, and you all will remember, is we had somebody who had been listening to our podcast that was interested in joining the Facebook group, and I can't remember the technical term of what it was in his prior incarnation, 
but it, you can at least access it online through a search, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever, whatever the format was, and this person said, I don't want to join a group like that because still people could find some way to discover that. And for this person, it was extremely uh, non-propitious to be out with, with, with uh, being in recovery. Totally understand it, totally respect it. Doug, you moved in immediately and moved it to the next level of uh, kind of firewall so that it's completely secret. This is exactly why we did it, to respect the fact that for yeah. some people, it's like back, back to the biker bar image, for some people it would be absolutely fatal professionally, for example, uh, to, be, to be open and transparent about the recovery. May there come a day, but we're not at that point now at all, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, um, you know, I mean, change in the military, I was in the army, you know, and we had gay people in the army, just like you have gay people everywhere else. And, um, um, when I was in basic and then we you know, went basic and MP school, it was like a four month process. We had, uh, two guys in our unit. I'm just, I'm calling my gay people now, but anyway, black guy and a white guy, they were so gay. So obviously gay, it wasn't covered up and we didn't give a shit. They were our guys and they were good soldiers. And that was it. Bam. End of story. You know, whatever they wanted to do on their time. And this was like in that, like 1979. So this whole thing that gay people in the army, you know, you know, the world would collapse. I'm so stupid. But anyway, but let's get back to what we were talking about. And, (laughs) And the other time to share, like you guys, like hopefully I have some too, is when it's in the service of your community. You know, you share your speaker, you know, you don't share to hear yourself talk or something. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you've got to say it to another human being and be heard. As with a sponsor in, in AA, it's, it's a really brilliant, or with a therapist or a coach or, or some, you know, a good friend. Sometimes we just have to talk about our stuff, you know, because, you know, the saying in recovery, you're only sick as our secrets. At some point, you just have to share it with another human being and you have to get it out there. So when it's out, you can get another perspective. And, oh, and by the way, you're not the biggest, you know, creep in the world. I mean, we've all done things that we're not proud of. And uh, and if you think you have, and you have any, uh, you know, time in adulthood, I don't know. Uh, you probably have some kind of mental disorder, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, nobody's perfect. We all, you know, we all make mistakes. So well, there's healing power in looking at your stuff, whether you're speaking it out loud to another human being, a, a group of people in, in our Facebook group, for example, or a therapist or talking out loud to yourself, writing in a journal, whatever it is you do, you look at it externally instead of going through it. And it takes the power away from those, those events, those beliefs, those things that are pushing you in a negative direction. It yeah. disempowers the shadow when you look at it in that way. And so speaking your truth matters. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about PTSD, one of the, I don't know, I probably borrowed this or got it, but my own work of myself, my own traumas, you know, in the beginning, this stuff comes on when you remember this thing that happened, the event that caused it, or it can be, you know, just growing up in a certain household, not one event, but a whole just, a time frame that causes PTSD. But when you remember it in the beginning, it's like you're in a, you're in a virtual reality, surround sound, vibrating chair. And it's just like, it's so real, you know, it's just there. You're being re-traumatized, you're re-experiencing it. And with time and work where we process this stuff through our psyches and through our bodies somatically and do, do the work we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, um, as, as these uh, series unflows, then it begins, finally it becomes like a black and white picture. You know, you can take it and stick it back in the in the file or in the picture book. It's still there. You remember it, but it no longer has that that powerful, yeah. painful charge yeah. 
that can just, you know, freak you out and, and get you trying to numb yourself or kill yourself or hate yourself or however we play that out. And the same thing with these, you know, shame. Uh, it's another form of PTSD, you know, this stuff and we have to process it, you know, and then we did some bad stuff and we have to go clean up our messes. Jeez, I have to do that daily. I mean, not in a huge way, but you know, it's just like moment to moment. And, um, you know, I learned that when I was a wilderness guide with young people leading them up and down the mountains and through the deserts, when you screw up, you just own it. Hey, I'm sorry, guys. I was sorry. I got pissed, you know, and it's like, Oh, Oh, you know, it's like, Oh, uh, you know, you can say you're sorry and you can clean it up and do what you can do. And, and, uh, it's it's just it's just healthy, you know. It just makes yeah. us connect, yeah. and be more human. It's really important to remember that too, because there is a danger in holding yourself to perfectionist standards of perfect action and perfect behavior, and that can be a trap. That's well, not equally terrible, but certainly pretty bad. It will help. Oh, it will keep you stuck. It will, you know, cause all kinds of relapse and trauma and self. Uh, <laughs> condemnation when you fail to live up to impossible standards. And so realizing that it will happen and mistakes will be made allows you to move forward courageously in whatever imperfect way and correct as you go, which is had a thought. I'm sorry, Doug, please continue. Sorry. Oh, I was just concluding. That's uh, exactly what you do in practice, no matter what practice you're doing is you observe, reflect, continue and, and, Correct. So, I, I just had this thought. It's the first time it's come to me as I was listening to you talk about perfection, Doug, is that, uh, and it reminds me, John, of our conversations about playing tennis, and all three of us are musicians, is that uh, my involvement in uh, refuge recovery, which uh, is, is uh, you know, a, a Buddhist mindfulness approach to recovery, very meaningful to me, is that the language of, of uh, refuge recovery, which is really rooted in, in uh Buddhist language refers to skillful speech, skillful actions, skillful this, skillful that. And I've never thought of it this way before, that what if being skillful with my speech or with my behavior includes part of the skill of that is recognizing my fallibility. And so it doesn't say perfect speech. It says skillful speech. Well, what would that be? It would be what you said, John, is that when I step on your toes or you mine, we have the whatever it takes to apologize. Now, that's skill. That's skill to be able to own my imperfection. Uh, as a tennis player, skill to risk slamming your forehand down the down the, the sideline and, and, yeah. and, then, and then missing it some portion of the time. Skill would be skill it, skill would be giving grace to yourself for having gone for it and even missed it. Mm-hmm. For me as a drummer to risk putting something into a to a measure that doesn't quite work. Okay, note to self, Bob, don't do that again. <laughs> Is that any less skill than only staying within the lines and never risking creativity? You know, and, and I was reading that oftentimes child prodigies never really continue that into adulthood because they get in this comfort zone where everybody honors them. They're all special when they're kids. And so they want to stay there. So they really don't run with it, you know, and it's, you know, and it's a screw up that, that, you know, and blah, 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 and finally get it together later in life and have a, you know, a better foundation and much more realistic uh, foundation of, you know, who I am and and acceptance, the, 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 the perfectness of the imperfection. And that's just what, that's just the story, you know? It's that willingness to take risks and step outside our comfort zones that leads to growth. And that's uh, no matter what dimension of practice we're talking about, whether it's, you know, in in the weight room, lifting a little bit more weight than you think you can do or running for one extra minute or playing a measure that you don't know if you can play or playing a tempo that's two clicks of the metronome faster than you think you can do it, whether it's, 
meditation, whatever your meditation may pra practice may be, if you expect perfection with meditation practice, for example, oh, you're going to quit. You're going to quit. And that's yeah, a, exactly. It's a significant obstacle for a lot of folks, Big too, time. which is why we say you gently bring it back over and over and over again, because that's exactly what trains the skill. That's why it's a practice. And that's yeah. that's yeah. how we grow. Meditation is particularly wonderful because that bringing it back over and over again, when we slip over and over again, allows us to accept that in other areas of our lives and continue to challenge ourselves in the right ways to continue our growth. And, and one teacher, meditation well teacher told me, it's like, it's the return. That's the practice, you know, and it's like, you know, it's doing the curl. It's the actual movement. It's like here I am, I'm doing my centering meditation and, Hmm. The Red Sox really did finally win a world series. What? <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, and, and the, the guy across the street, he's a professor of, of cinema and he's never seen Stand By Me with. <laughs> Where does it come from? Yeah. He's coming back and the practice yeah. is coming back. No. I like that. I like that. Yeah, you that know, was they, a, they say they say in psychotherapy uh, training that that the 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 key as a psychotherapist is not to get it perfect; it's to, to repair the ruptures, and it's really to keep bringing it back. So when I miss a tune to a client and miss by uh, a milli uh, a millisecond or a millimeter, the the aim is to repair that. And as you guys know, in your own experience, it's the repair that builds the strength. Uh, getting it perfect, if that were even possible, doesn't build anything. It's, it's, it's pushing it out there. So it's actually risking making an error um, and, then, and then repairing it that actually builds the greater, uh, the, the greater healing. Yeah. I yeah, love this, this image. Oh, so, yeah, and it's with music, too. You yeah. know, I mean, if you're going to play really hot lead guitar, you're going to make mistakes, man. Yeah. I've heard, yeah. I've heard uh, Clapton make mistakes. And yeah. then you just, you know, you make it right. And it's just, yeah. that's just life. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing of Michael Brecker, the late great jazz saxophonist, giving a, a lecture to a group of jazz students, and he was going to play a piece of music. And he says, "I'm going to, I'm going to uh, play this thing. I'm going to screw it up just to show you what doesn't work." And so he kept playing this standard. Let's say it's body and soul, and every time that he would purposefully make a mistake he would reflexively tie it into the song or into the solo again. After three or four attempts of this, he looked at the group. I had a friend who was in this group who told me this story. He looked at the group and kind of threw his hands up and said, you know what? Come to think of it, I don't know if I know how to make a mistake. And what he meant by that is that there wasn't any even purposeful deviation from the key or from the note or whatever that was required that he couldn't wind back in. And that's what he did. He just, he was so congenitally wired to do that. He could not not do that. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. It's, just keep it's making music. saying yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. yeah. like they teach in improv, you know, there, there's not a mistake. You just go with it. Make Very it good. Work. Thank you. Oh, that's I like great. That. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, that? let me just, let me just say a little bit about practice, you know, integral practice and kind of, and I'm always trying to simplify these things. And if you like meditate 40 minutes a day, you should work out like in that case, I mean, really pushing yourself to your 10 not the whole time, but during that, you know, 40 minutes a day. I am, I probably need a little more than most people because I'm a little more screwed up than most, I think. Uh, but, you know, about an hour to an hour, 10 minutes of meditation, um, it's really good for me. And then, then I do uh, on, um, you know, like 
today at an hour and 55 minutes preparation for this. And once a week to have a really, you know, kind of a deeper, a two hour, two and a half hour, whatever you can handle. And, you know, and I'm using this, uh, you know, eye awake technologies in my meditation too. So it's this binaural stuff that's very, very powerful and keeps me in the zone. But yeah, you got, you got to, you got to get this. And it's had a lot of time and a lot of commitment and everything. Yes. But after you, after you've done it for a while, it's like, you can't go back. You know, you're so much better. You're so much more vital. You're so much more happy. You're so much deeper. You could deal with your, the pain and suffering in such more, you know, healthy, you know, mature way where it actually becomes a, a teacher and, and not a executioner's, you know, bloody axe or something like that. And it just, it's just, there's no, you, once you've crossed that, you know, that whatever that line is, it's very, very hard to go back and just go unconscious and let your body go to hell and let your interiors go to sleep. You know, John, you remind me of something by your last point that the, uh, the founding author of this idea of flow was, uh, Miali Csikszentmihalyi. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And I, we're not even going to try to pronounce, uh, spell that last name. Just, uh, I, there are no vowels in it, I can assure you. It's just all consonants. <laughs> anyway, look up Flow, his book on optimal experience. And one of the things he says that's characteristic of floating, you just put your finger on it. He says it's autotelic. And what he means by that, auto means self, telic means end, is that it becomes an end in and of itself. And so for you, the meditation, you don't have to like have some kind of external motivation to do it. It, 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 the process itself pays for itself. The same for me in my morning meditations. I look forward every morning. I wake up crusty. There's no doubt about it. But once I get going, I am so grateful to be in that space. And I don't have to have some external electric prod to remind me to do it. It pays for itself in huge dividends. And so it's autotelic. It, it, it's, it's an end in and of itself. I'm not doing it for any purpose, not doing it to impress anybody. I want to do it because of because it's there and how it feels. It's and it's also a yes and, and like Doug was saying, and it's how you serve the world. Yes. You know, you yes. got to tune the instrument, you know, you yes. got to sharpen the sword, you got to sharpen the blade. Yeah. Just, I continue to be so grateful, John and Doug. I continue to be so grateful because this practice leads inevitably to my serving, like you're saying, serving the world. And how lucky am I that what I enjoy doing most which is centered around this interior practice ties exactly into my mission in terms of the world. They're not separable. The one feeds the other. And I just, how lucky could a person be is the thing that I enjoy doing, doing most in the outer world is exactly served uh, in direct proportion to what I do in the inner world and vice versa. Isn't that crazy? It's wonderful. <laughs> it's called coherence. I think <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you. Hmm. So you may think that you don't have time, but these things, fill you up too and allow you to give back. I, uh, during, during my addiction, I had stopped playing the guitar. Things got really bad. I put my instrument down. I sold my saxophone. I didn't pick up my guitar for years. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more to the reasons why, but, um, fairly recently in my sobriety, I was expecting my daughter, my wife was pregnant, and I recalled suddenly these these thoughts I had of always wanting to have a child growing up in a musical household. And I went one day and I dug my guitar out of the closet. This is probably two years ago now, having not touched it for so long and just picked it up and started to play again. But it was different this time. There was no pain attached to it. There was no self-blame there was no regret of making what i thought were the wrong choices of major in school or any there was no expectation of being some great guitarist i just 
picked it up to play for no other reason than I wanted to, and I thought it would be fun. That's and right. it has been one of the most rewarding things in my life to have that right. back every day. And those, you know, when I, when I can get myself to take a break and spend 30 or 60 minutes playing the guitar, that's not wasted time because it gives me so much energy and so much joy back to bring to the rest of my work. I always come back and do better work after I've played guitar for a while. Absolutely absolutely Absolutely. worth it. And so many of us got discouraged when you try to make music a business, you know, but when you say it's a yoga, man, it's Mm -hmm. prayer, you know, it's, it's how we, we join with the divine, the union with the divine. That's what music is, you know, and if anything else comes in, well, that's in God's hand. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play. You know, I've had this experience. You really both really inspired over the years. Most of my career, I've been a teacher. That's most of what I've done, teaching and speaking. And uh, I, I and I've and secondly, I've played a lot of drums. <laughs> I've played a lot of music, and I started noticing some connection. This is probably twenty twenty five years ago, and it's it's only ever been the case. And I think if anything, it's at a at the highest fever pitch ever right now. Is you're inspired me by this, Doug, when you're talking about the experience for you of picking up the guitar. When I drum, this will be a self-evident to you guys because I'm preaching to the choir here. When I drum, my teaching uh, directly reflects the creativity of the drumming. And so I can feel it the next day after I drum for an evening, I go teach and it's like, wow, it's amazing to me what comes through. And vice versa, because the two are both creative acts for me, is that when I teach and pour myself into it, I should say, let myself go into flow in my teaching. And I drum that night, you can bet your bottom dollar that the drumming will be inspired by that. So it's just to realize the reciprocal relationship. So whatever it is you do, uh, in your uh, waking life, let's say for occupation and so on, to have it serve and be served by the 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 creative uh, whatever you, the the art form that that you embrace, whether it's gardening, dance, cooking mindfully, playing guitar, playing drums, they're absolutely reciprocally intertwined. And I felt that over the years. It's really stunning to me. I wish there were a way to measure a way to measure it from the outside. I guarantee you, from the inside, I can definitely feel the difference. You know, Bob, I think we should lean into and explore that in our next episode, too. But that's a really good preview. I think flow practices carry over into the rest of our life. Whatever your flow practice may be carries over into the rest of your work. That's that's it right there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We shall. (laughs) Well, cool. Maybe that's a good place to wrap it. Um, And anyway, thanks, everybody. And hey, you know. Uh, Dr. Roger Wall said spiritual uh, growth happens one body length at a time. So uh, just accept it, bless it, and deal with it, and you'll, you'll, you'll grow. So anyway, we'll see you next time, and thanks, thanks. for showing up. And uh, contact us if we can support you anyway. Get on our secret Facebook thing. I'm not even sure how to do that, except I'm already on it, and I get to read it all. Integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash community. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. It's great. God bless everybody. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.